All right, I want to invite you to open with me in your Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 this morning. And also Ephesians chapter 2. John chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Now, John chapter 3 is, of course, the most famous chapter, probably. Well, I won't say chapter. I will say the most famous verse of the whole Bible is found in John chapter 3. Of course, you know it. It's John 3, 16. If you didn't say 16, that's all right. We're still glad you're here this morning. But, of course, John 3, 16 uh, is one of the most famous Bible verses. In fact, I'm sure a great large percentage of us could, could, could quote it. Uh, maybe you could even quote that verse as a child, even maybe before you even believed it, you still knew what it was. In fact, John 3.16 is so popular that it used to be, I don't know if it's that way anymore because I don't watch as much sports as I used to, but it used to be at just about every sports gathering There'd be somebody in the, in the stands holding up a sign that said John 3.16. John 3.16. I don't know. Again, like I said, I don't know if it is that way anymore, but uh, it, it's just such a, a famous, it is the most famous, the most well-known Bible verse in the whole Bible. But it, it's in the middle of a passage that I would say most people don't even know or understand that is kind of plucked out of its context, plucked out of the, the story. And, and I, I think that there's, there's a lot of the truth that's contained in John 3.16 that's missed because it's pulled out of its context. So we're going to look at John chapter 3 today. And especially in light of us hosting this missions conference next week, you know, it's our 60th annual missions conference. We're also, again, of course, next week celebrating our 80th anniversary as a church. And, and, and in light of that, all of the, you know, the budget that's been raised, all of the money that's been given, all of the expense and the effort that goes into putting on uh, something like this, all of the planning, all of the travel, why, why is it that we are so passionate about missions and that you could have a conference on a lot of different things? You, we could raise money for a lot of different uh, uh, activities, a lot of different uh, movements, a, a lot of different efforts. So why is it that Destiny Church is so laser focused on missions and, and the Great Commission? And we're going to see the answer to that from our passage today in John chapter 3. I want us to focus in here today and to look at the words of Christ, to examine them, to study them, and I think that there may be even some of you who are here today who, who may be shocked to hear not John 3.16, but the verses surrounding it, what the Lord Jesus had to say about life, about humanity, about our sinful state, and about the life to come. And so I'm going to read for us this morning, uh, then we'll pray, and then we'll start unpacking uh, this story together. We're going to start this morning in verse chapter 1. Verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. 
This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world, but people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks to us today. It is alive, your word. It is living it is sharper than a two-edged sword, Lord. It, it penetrates our heart, Lord. It separates what is good from what is evil, what is true from what is false. It separates the light from the darkness. Your word, God, shines bright into our lives. I pray that through the illumination of your word and the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives today, that you would give us eyes to see what it is you're saying to our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear, Lord Jesus, what it is that you are speaking to us today. 
God, our heart's desires to live for you. Our heart's desires to bring glory to you, to bring glory to your name. Lord, to not live for ourselves and to, to not live for our own name, but to live for your name and your name alone. That we would be a people, Lord, that are marked by your word, a people who are filled with your spirit, a people who don't go after the pattern of this world, but order ourselves after the pattern of your word. Speak to us through your word today. We're here to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the, the backstory on this, it, it starts, the setting is at night. It's nighttime. And there's a, a ruler in the nation of Israel, a man named Nicodemus. It tells us he's a Pharisee. The Pharisees as a whole did not love Jesus. They did not accept Jesus. In fact, they rejected Jesus. And anyone who thought that Jesus was the Messiah or who they had put their faith in Jesus as the Christ, the Pharisees rejected them, uh, even put them out of the synagogue. That, that is to remove them from their community. Nevertheless, there is a man of that order named Nicodemus. And, and we see from this that he has a faith in Christ. He, he comes to him and, and he tells him, Rabbi, that is teacher, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you are doing unless God is with him. And so Nicodemus had seen what Jesus was doing, the miracles that he did, these great signs, the, the, the deaf ears that he opened, the blind eyes that he opened, the, how Jesus turned water into wine. He, he saw these signs that Jesus was doing, and he said, no one could do these things unless God was with him. And so Nicodemus is one that, that breaks from the, the group that he was a part of. Though his contemporaries, those, those his friends, those his, his, his co-workers, the, those of the Pharisees as a whole rejected Christ, Nicodemus is one who has received him. And so he goes to visit him, but notice he doesn't go during the daytime when everyone can see He's not willing to be seen with Jesus. He, he, though he believes in Jesus at maybe a superficial level, he, he hasn't come to the point of faith where he's willing himself to be identified with Jesus. He's not yet willing for his faith in Christ to, to, to be put to the test, to cost him something. Nevertheless, he, he is drawing close to Jesus and he does it under the cover of night, under the veil of darkness. And he comes and he, he meets with Jesus and the words that he says are profound words. He says, you have come from God. It's obvious that you have come from God. And of course, this echoes uh, what John had told us at, at the beginning of his gospel. The very first words John had delivered to us in John chapter 1, verse 1, if you want to flip over there quickly, it tells us, John tells us that Jesus had come from God. Yes, that's true. But there's actually something even more true than Jesus having come from God. It's that Jesus was God. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. 
And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. And of course, if you go down to verse 14 of John chapter 1, it tells us who this word is. This word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He says, we know you've come from God. Those of us who have been reading John's gospel, when we get to chapter 3, we know that Jesus is more than come from God. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the life in him was life. And that life, John says, is the light of men. It's interesting, this dynamic between the darkness and the light. Nicodemus is coming to Jesus under the, the shroud of darkness, but he is walking into the light. He's, he's being drawn to the light. And so there's three things that Jesus tells Nicodemus. There's, there's three things that he explains in this passage. Three things that we need to understand ourselves. The first, he tells Nicodemus, and I love Jesus, he just gets right down to the point. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't start with a cute story about when he was a carpenter as a kid. You know, he, he doesn't try to entertain Nicodemus. He just gives him the truth. He gets right down to it. He says, truly, truly. Again, that, 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 that kind of language, that kind of um, verbiage. We don't talk like that. I, I, I don't, you know, get home from work and Heather says, how was your day? I say, truly, truly, it was a wonderful day. You know, that, that's, that's not how we talk. So because that's not how we talk, the weight of what Jesus is saying is, is lost on us a little bit here. But, but this is the, the, the Jesus way of identifying that what he's about to say is the highest, the most important thing that you could ever hear. In the, in the King James, it's translated, verily, verily. It's, listen to me. Listen to the words I'm about to tell you. Do not miss this. Do not doze off. Do not let them pass in one ear and out the other. Now, if somebody said that to you, you would kind of perk up, wouldn't you? Truly, truly, I say to you, what, what does he follow? What words follow this massive attention grabber? Unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's in verse 5. 
In verse 3, the first thing he tells them, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You, the first thing he tells them is, you must be born again. You must be born again. You must be born again to see the kingdom of God. Jesus here, notice this, Jesus here has a bigger picture of salvation than simply having your sins washed away and being made right with God. In view here, Jesus has something even bigger than that. And it's to see the kingdom of God, it's to be a part of the kingdom of God. It's to receive life eternal, which certainly includes having your sins washed away and being made right with God, but it's so much more than having your sins washed away and being made right with God. He's not just talking about, you know, when I pass away one day in the sweet by and by, I'll make it to the pearly gates and Peter will be standing there and he'll have my name on a list and he'll let me in and I'll get my angel wings like Clarence one day. No, that's not what he, there's, there's more to the Christian life than that. Let me put it this way. There's more to eternal life than that. It's being a part of the kingdom of God. You see, it, it impacts your life right now. It's, it's right here and now. It, it's not just for a thousand years from now, 10,000 years from now, 10 million years from now, though it is for that as well. Being a part of the kingdom of God is for right now. And Jesus says to be a part of the kingdom of God, to even see the kingdom of God, to be able to enter into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, as it's put in the gospel of Matthew. You must be born again. Now Nicodemus is confused by this statement. He, he immediately is thinking, how in the world is this possible? How can I be born again? How can I... Do I enter my mother's womb again? I mean, that's not going to work. I'm, you know, he's just kind of, his mind is melted by this concept and he just begins to blurt out absurdities. How can a man be born when he is old? Jesus brings clarity. Okay, what does this mean to be born again? It's essential that I am born again. I must be born again. What does it mean to be born again? He goes on to answer Nicodemus, unless you're born of the water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, there are those who teach, and I would say wrongly, that this is saying you are born again through water baptism. That you are born again through being baptized in water and born again by speaking in tongues. And so there's a group of people that take this passage and teach that doctrine that's not what this is saying. What is this saying? Well, Jesus actually explains it more clearly in the next verse. So he says, truly, truly, unless you are born of the water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So what is Jesus talking about here? He's saying that there is a natural birth that's being born of the water. When a woman gives birth, what is it that breaks? Her water breaks. So Jesus is using that, born of the water, to talk about natural birth. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And guess what? All of us in here have experienced that birth. 
That's why you're here today. You have been born. But Jesus says that everyone who has been born, they must also be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. What, what, what does this mean? He, he's saying there's natural birth and there is spiritual birth. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. We must be spiritually reborn. Why? Why must we be spiritually reborn? I asked you to open to Ephesians chapter 2. Flip over there with me. Why must we have this born again experience? Why must we be born not only naturally from our father and mother, but supernaturally from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Ephesians chapter 2, Paul brings some light. He sheds some light on this idea of spiritual birth. Speaking to the Ephesians who are in Christ, who are born again, he begins to speak to them about the, the past tense before they came to Christ. And in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Why must we be born again? Because of sin. Because of sin. You see, sin has separated us from God. Because of sin, there is a great chasm that exists between us and God. God who is Holy, holy, holy as the angels cry out. He cannot be, he, he, he does not coexist with sin. He cannot be around sin. God must judge sin. God is righteous. He's not like us. He's not compromised morally in any way whatsoever. And to sin is, is, is to not just sin against our neighbors, to sin against God. David, in, in his great fall, as he sinned with Bathsheba, as he had his, her, her husband murdered to cover up his sin. When he's brought to repentance, his great cry to God is, God, against you and you alone have I sinned. Because we have sinned against God, we are separated from God, we are separated from life itself, from life eternal. And Paul puts it this way, that we were dead in trespasses and sins. This is the human condition without Christ. 
The Bible describes it as being lost, as being blind, broken, separated from God, spiritually dead. Jesus put it this way. Whoever does not believe, in verse 19, verse 18, whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. That those who do not believe in Christ, their spiritual state is eternal death, is spiritually dead. Under the condemnation of their own sin, Paul puts it this way, children of wrath, under the wrath of God, awaiting the righteous judgment of God, without hope, awaiting judgment and everlasting damnation. These are the words of Christ. This is John 3, 18, 19, and 20. I think this is why most of the signs people hold up stop at John 3, 16. Yes, of course, God loved the world. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, to redeem mankind from sin, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But the verse continues that unless you believe in Christ, you will perish. Unless you believe in Christ, you are already condemned because of your sin. And this is the state of humanity without Christ. You must be born again. You must be born again. There's not another way to be made right with God. There's not a second way, a third way, possibly a fourth way. It is through faith in Christ alone. The second thing he tells Nicodemus in verse 8, he says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So the first thing he tells them is you must be born again. The second thing he tells them is that the new birth is a work of the Holy Spirit. The new birth is a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You cannot cause yourself to be born again. For you to be born again, the Holy Spirit must take what is dead in you and to make it alive. It is a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Just as you had very little to do with your natural birth, so it is with our spiritual birth. We do not cause ourselves to be born again. The Holy Spirit regenerates our hearts and we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We cannot save ourselves. The great question is, if we are dead in our trespasses and sins without Christ, because of our sin, what can a dead man do? Nothing. Totally unable to do anything. We cannot do anything to improve our spiritual condition before God. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. Anything that we would try to do would only lead to self-pride, uh, to, to self-righteousness. 
We are unable to do anything. And it's worse than that. Jesus says that humanity without the work of the Holy Spirit are not only unable, but they are unwilling to come to Christ. This is the judgment, he says in verse 19. This is the judgment that light has come into the world. But people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Whoever does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. You must be born again. And the new birth is not something that you generate. It's not something that you come up with. It's not something that is, is because of your will or, or your intellect or, or your ability. It is the work of God. That, that you may be clearly seen, may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. Without Christ, without the gospel, without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are totally unable and totally unwilling to come to Christ. Back in Ephesians 2 again, Paul says that though we followed after the passion of our flesh, though we rebelled against God, though we lived in sin and we were dead in trespasses because of that, though we were under the righteous judgment of God, Verse 4, he says, but God, but God, in this state that we were in because of our own intellect, because of our own will, because of our own sin and rebellion, we put ourselves there, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. You could say born again in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Without Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit, we are unwilling, we are unable, we are spiritually dead, we are lost, we are blind, we are broken, we are separated from God. But God, who is rich in mercy, while we were dead, he raised us up. He saved us. 
He regenerated us. The work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit moved in our hearts, blew into our lives. It's like the wind. It, It comes and it goes. We don't understand how it all works. But what we do know is if that we have faith in Christ today, it is because the Holy Spirit has given us eyes to see. If we have faith in Christ today, it's because the Holy Spirit has opened up our ears and raised us up to new life in Christ. And we are born again by the Spirit of God. Through the work of the Spirit. Through the work of the Spirit. The new birth is a work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus took upon himself our sin and shame and guilt. Every sin you've ever committed, every thought you've ever thought of a sinful thought, a sinful act, a sinful word, the sins you wanted to commit and the sins you didn't want to commit but you did anyway, all of that laid on Christ. He who knew no sin became sin so that in Christ we might be the righteousness of God. He was separated from God on our behalf. On the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God's wrath against sin poured out on Christ on the cross. His resurrection on the third day, defeating Satan, defeating sin, defeating hell, rising in victory, gives us new life. You see, there's only one way of salvation, and it's Jesus Christ. That's it. Jesus in John 14 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Because of this, because we believe that Jesus is the the way, we are hated by the world. We are hated by the world. Jesus said, you will be hated by all men for my name's sake. We are hated by the world because we believe and we teach and we preach and we raise money and we send missionaries all over the world to go tell Jesus, to go tell the world, the nations, that Jesus is not a way, but that Jesus is the way. The way. All we have to do to be accepted by the world is change that one little article from the to a. We'll be totally accepted by the world. But no, The Bible says, Jesus said, that he is the way. Why do we send missionaries to go tell the lost nations about Christ? Because Jesus said he was the way. Because without Christ, you are lost in your trespasses and sins. Without Christ, you are under condemnation already. And the only hope that anyone has of being saved is to hear the gospel message. It is the only hope. Jesus is the only hope of salvation. You being a good person, putting your faith in your own goodness will not save you. Wealth will not save you. Faith in your possessions. Many people think that that will save them. It will not. Many people seek salvation in in other saviors, themselves, their wealth, their career. That's faith in their own abilities. People seek salvation in education. That's faith in your own intellect. Secular humanism, faith in humanity, teaching people to look inside for salvation. 
There's only one problem. None of those deal with sin. None of those deal with what separate humanity from God. It's only the cross of Christ, the shed blood of Christ, and his resurrection from the dead that deal with the problem, that deal with sin. Wealth cannot save you from sin. A great career can't save you from sin. A bunch of degrees cannot save you from sin. Of course, none of those things is wrong or evil, but if you put your faith in them, they're a really rotten savior. It's Jesus, it's the cross, it's the blood, and it's the grace of God. By grace you have been saved, by grace. So, you must be born again. Being born again, the new birth, is a work of the Spirit. And the third thing that he tells Nicodemus is in verse 15. Verse 14. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What Jesus is saying here has a double meaning about him being lifted up. He's talking about the kind of death that he would die, being lifted up on the cross. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the, the, this work of, of, of how in the, in the wilderness, the children of Israel were bitten, they were diseased, they were dying, and God told Moses to put a, a serpent on a stick, and those who looked at it were saved, they were healed, they received salvation. Jesus here says, all of that was foreshadowing the work that I would do. You think, why in the world was it a serpent on the cross? Isn't Jesus the spotless lamb? Yes, he is. But on the cross, he became sin. On the cross, he was identified with the serpent. He became the curse for us on the cross. That serpent that Moses held up in the wilderness, pointing to, foreshadowing the work of Christ on the cross. So Jesus is talking about the kind of death that he would die on the cross. But there's a second meaning in this about him being lifted up. It's about him being exalted. It's about the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus being heralded, being proclaimed, being lifted up in the nations. That if we will preach the word, if we will preach the gospel, if we will send missionaries to the nations to herald the gospel of Jesus Christ, if he be lifted up, he will draw humanity unto himself. So you must be born again. The new birth is a work of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit works when the gospel is proclaimed. The Spirit works on the hearts of mankind when the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is preached and proclaimed in the nations. The hearts of men and women are changed by the power of God's word. We must lift up the work of Christ. We must preach and proclaim the gospel. We must not become distracted. Must not become taken off course. Jesus says, whoever believes in him has eternal life. I'm going to close today by flipping to Romans chapter 10.
Romans chapter 10. We'll start in verse 9. Paul says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Verse 11, for the scripture says that everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. It doesn't matter what family you were a part of, what, what natural heritage that you have. If you believe upon Christ, you're part of the family of God. He is now your father. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek, between Jew and Gentile. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're here today and you haven't believed upon Christ, you haven't trusted in him, you haven't put your faith in his sacrifice for you on the cross, believe upon Christ today. Let the Holy Spirit work in your heart. He is drawing you to Christ. Believe upon Him. Look to Him. He is lifted up before you this morning. If you will look to Him, if you will call out to Him, you will be saved. But then Paul raises this question in verse 14. How will people call on Christ? if they have not believed in him? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But, he says, they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? So, so, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The glorious good news is that we were dead in sin. But Jesus came, God in the flesh, from heaven to earth, lived a life without sin, went to the cross to pay the price for sinners. That all who would put their faith in Christ would receive grace, not a work of the flesh, because of God who is rich in mercy. But how are we to believe in Christ if we've never heard of what he did for us. How are, we to, how are we to hear unless someone preaches? And how is someone to preach unless they are sent? And so why are we so passionate about missions? It's for the sake of the nations. It's for the sake of the lost. It's the, so those who are living in darkness might see a great light so that the gospel may be preached and proclaimed that the name of Christ, that Christ would be lifted up because faith comes by hearing 
and hearing through the word of Christ. The Spirit works as the gospel is proclaimed. Hearing God's word builds your faith. Not only faith for salvation, yes, of course, faith for salvation, but also faith for every day. Amen. Amen. The Bible says that the just shall live by faith. This is why, again, we're making room for God. We're having church on Sunday nights. We're preaching the word to build your faith because we need faith every day. So yes, we bring in the missionaries, we raise support, we send them out to go and preach and to proclaim to the nations, but we also gather as God's people so that our faith would be built up. So that when we are tried, when we are tested, when we are tempted, when the storms of life that inevitably come to all of us come, that our faith would be strong in those moments. And how does faith come? By hearing the word of God. And this is why we put so much energy, so much effort, so much resources behind missions so that the nations, the nations would come to Christ. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. He came under the cover of darkness. But Jesus bid Nicodemus to step into the light, to step into the light of the gospel, to believe upon Christ. And that's the question that I leave with you today. Have you believed upon Christ? Have you believed upon him? I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm not talking about giving in the offering. I'm not talking about, well, my granddad was a pastor. I'm not talking about any of that. Have you believed on Christ? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Put your faith in him. And for those of us who have believed on Christ... We still must trust in him every single day. It's not believe on him one day and now we're saved and, and then we just live out our lives. No, it's every day, moment by moment, trusting in Christ, trusting in his word that never fails. Because we live in a world that tells us the opposite, don't we? We live in a world that preaches another message, another gospel, and so we choose to silence those voices and to hear the voice of the Lord, to hear the voice of Christ. We need faith for every day. We must put our faith in Christ. You must be born again. The new birth is a work of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit works as the gospel is preached and proclaimed.